0: What's happening, guys? Happy Sunday, and thank you for joining a very special episode of Your Welcome. Now, I told you guys on Friday that I'd deliver you a UFC 274 reaction show on Sunday, and as always, Uncle Chael has delivered. Coming up on today's show, I'll offer my instant analysis of last night's UFC 274, beginning with the main event and ending with Chandler versus Ferguson. Plus, I'll break down Charlie Olive's problems with the scale. All of that is next, so let's get into it. Charles Oliveira, Justin Gaethje. Look, guys, this is a real simple case. I mean, this is a real simple case of Charles Oliveira is better than we've admitted he is. Are we done? Should I get up and go home, and you all turn this off, and you you, you give me a thumbs up, and, hey, Chael, you're the greatest in now. like, right, We're done. That's what this is. And so many times in a guy's career, We will judge the body of the career. Like, there is an expression in this sport and it never goes away. And the pundits are guilty of it, the fans are guilty of it, the fighters themselves are guilty of it, which is the expression, you're only as good as your last fight. And when I tell you the fighters themselves, they will literally feel down in the dumps, or they'll feel like they can be king of the world, all based on how their last outcome was. And we're finding out with Charles that you have the right to get better, don't you? You have the right to grow. You have an ability to use those experiences to improve. Like it was so nasty. What saw. I believe it was Joe Rogan to see Justin Gaethje get his ass kicked. It's just not something we see, guys. We've seen it once. Justin Gaethje has been dominated once. That was by Khabib. I can't say the same thing happened to him tonight. I just can't. Right when you get caught and you go down, it's a little bit different than when Khabib goes out and takes a guy down. I come from a wrestling background. People would love to tell you the most dominant thing that you can do in wrestling is pin somebody, but it's not true. If you pin somebody, it's very easy for people to believe you got caught. The same thing goes in boxing, If knock somebody out is the most dominant thing, but it's, we've seen a lot of times where somebody takes a big hand, they go down, we, they got caught. It's much more in wrestling. To technical fall somebody where you score so many points, it's like the mercy rule in baseball. They'll step in and stop the match. Or it's much more in-boxing if it's a 12-round fight to go out and dominate him for 12 rounds. Slip a couple of 10-8s in there. Absolutely prove that you're the best. Now, I bring that to you because there is a distinction. Look, guys, we're going to play this game till the end of time. We're going to play this game, as Charles Oliveira gets better, of comparing him to Khabib. There is now two common opponents. I think that Khabib handled Dustin Poirier much easier than Oliveira did. But the facts will prove that Oliveira beat Poirier 61 seconds quicker than Khabib. What do you want to do with that? We're just having fun. But this is what we do when guys retire. This is what we do when we have these mythical matches we can't get together. Now you have another common opponent. I believe that Khabib was much more dominant over Justin Gaethje than Oliveira, but Oliveira was done three and a half minutes faster than Khabib. I mean, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? One of the great lines tonight was by Joe Rogan. It's the very end of the night, it was the end of this fight, and Joe Rogan said, it's times like this, we gotta get Khabib back. Now I'm paraphrasing, please don't give me the exact quote, but that's what we're seeing here. Like, what do you do next? What do you do next with Oliveira? This is a level of greatness. And if we want to hold defeats against him, he was defeated by the scale. Who's beat him before, and beat him before, and beat him before. We've seen men beat him. We've seen men submit him. We've seen men make him quit. But you also see a boy turn into a man. You don't become a man because you're 18. That's what the law says, and we all know that. There can be different things that happen, there can be different beliefs, there can be different experiences. It's very hard to get to the top and keep on driving. We see a few guys do it, but they are the true greats. Kamar Usman comes to mind. Becomes champion of the world, and then gets better. Right? Very rare. Valentina Shevchenko comes to mind. Becomes the best in the world, but keeps getting better, keeps being driven. We're seeing that with Charles Oliveira. I mean, this stuff is silly. That punch Justin hit him with, there's times I've seen Oliveira with my own eyes. Oliveira would not continued. That would have been the door, and he would have gone out. This is just a different guy. This is a much mature guy. This is a guy who's demanding. Don't forget, a lot of things is up against it. When you're a prize fighter, and yes, you're fighting for the accomplishment. Yes, the competitor and that little boy is still inside of you. But you are now fighting for a prize which just diminished Multiple times over. Guys, I would put this as a probably just that I could do the math on, just me, just, I don't know Car- Charles's business. I don't know his contract. I could probably come up with right here in front of you about $2.3 million that that scale fail costed him. Just so you understand how participation works for defending a championship. You must understand that word defending a championship. So by example, Justin Gaethje, because he was not defending a championship tonight, even if he had won, does not qualify to activate that clause within a contract. Oliveira, because he was no longer champion, now does not qualify. Let's call that a million bucks. Let's just call that a million dollars. Very good guess. You also have the sponsor who gives the champion what, guys? help me. Does the champion get 50 grand to wear the shirt? The champion gets 50? So he doesn't get that because he was no longer champion. We're looking at about $30,000, but don't forget the next fight. Oliveira's next fight will be a main event, and it will be for a title, but it will not be for a title that he is defending. So you're talking about the exact same thing. Just that sponsor money goes down. We're looking at another 30 grand, just pulling money out here. But also the pay-per-view clause, you're looking at another million bucks. Don't forget the escalation that would go into his built-in show fee does not happen. Do not forget that tonight's submission, without question, would have been submission of the night, $50,000. Don't forget that the Athletic Commission can either take 10 or 20% that varies from state to state. Guys, I just came up with your $2.3 million. I just came up with it. It's a big deal. And Oliveira knew that, and Oliveira was against it, and Oliveira went out there and performed anyway on the home soil of one of the most popular UFC athletes on the roster. There's a lot that was against him. We can give him a hard time, we can kick him all that we want, but a pound of flesh, right? Guy missed weight by half a pound. That's all he did wrong. It was wrong. Cost him $2.3 million in a championship of the world, and he knew it. He knew what he was up against. That cannot be an easy pressure to approach a fight under. And he went out and put on that performance. We got to give him his due. You had your time to kick him. That was yesterday. He he did something bad in our industry. Okay, okay, okay. But there's built-in mechanisms for what you do. Those were done. And I'm not sure that you're aware of the financial implication. And I know it always gets uncomfortable when we start talking about money. But you were talking about $2.3 million that I just came up with. I don't know the real numbers. And that's not just to Charles. That goes to his team. Right, I mean, there's just a lot of things. Can we, can we just agree on that? Can we agree there's a lot of things and that he still went out and performed? Can we agree how well he's transitioning? Can we agree how well he's taking pe- at people's backs? Can we agree that was a very hard shot that Justin Gaethje hit him with? That many men would not have walked through, including a younger Charles. So what do you do with them now? Well, what do we do as we start to guess? The first thing we do is we look for precedence. The most recent precedence was this exact same situation. Figueredo versus Benavides. Figueredo is the champion. Figueredo misses weight. The fight takes place. It was not competitive. Figueredo won. Because he won one of the bylaws in said situation is if the champion wins, the champion does get to become the number one contender for the vacated title. So now Figueiredo is going to go on to fight for a championship. And the UFC is looking around going, look, if we're going to award the offender, we must award the victim. So they just moved Joseph and Figueiredo back. They just redid it again. There wasn't an overly competitive first match. They just redid it again. This time Figueiredo made weight. Now, when we do look back at that, what should we do? Should we stick to precedence? We have to do it. That's what we did. We're going to see Gaethje versus Oliver, and we're going to see it again. And this time, let's hope Oliver makes way. Should we do that, or should we learn from that? Should we learn that the outcome, should we learn that the performance, should we call that a precedence we want to follow, or should we call that a precedence we're going to learn from and not do again? It's a very fair question. Because if you're going to default back to that, then we're just going to see Oliveira versus Gaethje again, which in fairness was not overly competitive, and I wouldn't mind seeing it again. Like that big punch from Oliveira, you take that punch out, who knows what was going to happen, right? It was It's a very different fight. Do you want to do that, or does this open the door for something different? Oliveira just lost $2.3 million that I came up with. I don't know his contract, I just produced it for you guys, and I think you're open to my numbers. Pretty goddamn close, right? Fix that whole thing you bring in Conor McGregor. You fix that whole thing if you bring in the biggest star in the sport. It's another option. It's another possible option. I've heard some of you speculate that the title should go to Derouche versus Islam. I concede for you what a difficult and competitive that match is. I will only share with you. I don't want to back and forth because this isn't my opinion. I'm sharing with you. One of the rules for Charles as champion and missing weight is that if he wins, he becomes the number one contender and he gets an opportunity next. So all we're discussing is who should be opposite Charles. Do we want to follow the precedence of Figueiredo Benavides, or do we want to learn from that and bring somebody new in? If we're going to bring somebody new in, door is very open maybe it's as simple as the winner of benin in Islam but maybe it's not and I would I would be curious what do you guys want to see? Rose versus Carla do we call that a fight I don't know what else to call it What what do you call that it was tough, it, it was very tough to explain and I really have to give a lot of credit to the announcers, I have seen a number of shows and so have you guys, where the announcers will see it as their job to cover. I have seen it from boxing, which I love, you guys think I get boxing a hard time, I love the sport of boxing, but there's no such thing as a feeling out process guys. You will never hear those words spoken in the amateurs. You will never hear that in a Golden Gloves. You will never hear that down at the YMCA. You'll never see that in the military when they contest it. You'll never see it at the Olympic Games. There is no such thing as a feeling out process. There is two human beings that are put out there for something that a human being is not made to do, which is to fight hard for 36 minutes. So they have an unwritten agreement, we're going to burn six of these rounds, and we're going to contest the next six, and the announcers go, oh, they're feeling each other out. There's no such thing. You've never seen it on the playground, you've never seen it in the octagon, you never it does, it's not real. But the announcers will carry it, and they've been doing it for 50 years in broadcast. Anik, Rogan, Cormier, as solid of a team as you're going to find, said, this is Terrible. <laughs> right. That's what they said. It's what we were all saying on Twitter. It's what we were all thinking. Now, we're not giving those girls a hard time. Think about that. You got a killer in front. They're both facing a world champion. Rose is standing there with good position, knowing she's about to be attacked at any moment by a world champion. Carlos doing the same thing. So when those punches are coming, even if they're miss right, weird things happen but it's hard to fully blame them. Try to cut the ring off, you try to measure them, they step a little bit out, I mean, you do it again, you do it again, God, those seconds turn into minutes, those minutes turn around, all of a sudden, you got rotten garbage. You got a world title being contested, and I think above everything, that's what surprised me. I do not have a problem with this. There is an old adage within our sport that is complete crap, that to be the champion, you really have to beat the champion. It's absolutely not true. But I will concede to the phenomenon. I will concede that judges do still do that to some degree, even though it is absolutely positively not within the rules. Now, after the first round, I don't have the scorecards. After the first round, I am very confident. In t- I do not have the scorecards, guys. But I'm confident in predicting for you the judges gave that to Rose. They gave it to Rose because nothing happened in favor of the champion. I'm equally as confident telling you, after the second round, the turmoil that the judges had internally of, what should have I done in the last round, absolutely nothing happened, they would fix that turmoil by just doing the opposite of they did in the first round. Without having the scorecards, I am quite sure, and I would bet heavily, going into the third round, they were tied up on all the judges, one apiece. Now... There was a comment made, and I believe it was by Joe Rogan, but one of the announcers, that the fourth round was clearly Carla, and they even had a reason. I didn't see a damn thing happen in that whole, f- I, I don't know. I watched that whole, th- I don't know. Dean Thomas was for sure the most pleasurable part of that. Because Dean said everybody in this building is losing these, right? It was just funny. Dean, Dean added some comedic relief, but I believe fully, if you are the announcer, you should steer into it. Never attempt to lie to the audience. I just appreciated that. Now... How are they gonna see it? I don't know. And then you come into the fifth round. I figured in my own head that it was likely two apiece. That what I told you going to the third, that the judges, because of turmoil with themselves, would just split the difference and give it to one apiece. I figured going to the fifth, they might have done this, they might have just done that two more times. This was a mess. And if anybody won the fifth round, it would have been Rose for that takedown at the end. Rose is gonna leave champion, and you have the phenomenon that we all know is not true but does exist, which is to be the champion, you really got to go be the champion. So who knows in a million years how those judges came to a split decision or how it went to Carla? But I would like to get in front of something which is criticizing any one of those three judges that just got put in the rarest of predicaments. I can assure you, not Larry Hazard, not Mark Ratner himself, not Andy Foster, not even President Mazzulli has ever sat down a team of judges and said, if nothing happens, <laughs> right? Like that is, this was an unforeseen. You cannot blame any judge. I would like to hear. I would just be curious, but i like to learn something. I would like to know what the judges saw in the rounds that they gave to Rose and one judge the entire fight. I would like to know what they saw in the rounds that they gave to Carla. In two judges' cases, the entire fight, I would be very curious, specifically to the fifth round. I just watched 25 minutes of agony. The only round that I knew who won was the fifth round, which was Rose, but apparently that didn't go to her. I would be curious to hear an explanation, but I would not challenge it. And we run into the same problem, guys. What do you do now? Do you guys want to see that rematch right now? Do you? No. Can you rematch them right now? Don't forget, this was the second meeting. So many of you didn't know that. And we got a lot of new fans. I don't condescend to you. But so many people didn't know. I just, I just ran into that in my everyday life. Texting friends or on Twitter. Or just conversations that I'd have around town. People didn't know that they had fought before. Well, they did. And Carla won. So Carla has now won two. So you go to a trilogy based on what? Right? It's a really hard spot. If Covington can't get in there with Usman because the score was 2-0, I think it's a tough sell. I also think there's other very good options. I think you bring in Wei Lee. I think you bring in Joanne. I think that's very obvious, and I just stated it for you, those ladies can go figure out and who's going to be next, and you, you look for a little parity, but uh, it's done. I will fully admit, in my short career on YouTube in front of you guys... This is not my most interesting piece. I will also take a victory lap that what I just entertained you with for 6 minutes and 51 seconds was a hell of a lot more fun than that fight. Tony Ferguson, Michael Chandler. Guys, there was two games being played here. There was two games being played and both guys won. Michael Chandler had to get his hand raised tonight. He was ranked in front of Tony, got better momentum than Tony, he's a year younger than Tony, and he's kind of the new face on the block. Even though he's an old veteran just like Tony, he's brand new in the organization, just one of these things. Chandler had to win this fight, period. Tony had not won a fight in a period of time, but some jerk within the meet, I gotta call the guy a jerk, because he called Tony out on this and said Tony hasn't even won a round. And then he dated it back, it was like 11 rounds and Tony hadn't won one. Now that's happened to plenty of other guys, but this is the first time ever that the media pulled somebody out and made it made it ugly. To the other side of the guy being the jerk, the guy was right. The guy that brought that up was right. And it, it brought up an interesting point because Tony does have a beautiful ranking, right? If you're ever top 10 in the world, that's something, if that makes a magazine, you're going to keep that magazine and you're going to hope that your grandkids find it someday and see your name and come ask you about him. It. I mean, it's one of those things. It really is an accomplishment. Tony Fergus is ranked number seven in the world right now. But he didn't have to beat Michael Chandler tonight, did he? That's not what any of us needed to see. Tony Ferg fans might have wanted it. Tony might have wanted it. His team might have wanted it, and it could have happened. It didn't have to happen. Tony's ranked seven, Chandler's ranked five. Chandler's the one that's gotta win. Ferg needed to win around. Ferg needed to look good. Ferg needed to look like he could do this again. Ferg needed to have punches thrown at him that he could get out of the way from. And kind of in order to show that speed. He needed to show that Father Time, who beats everybody and remains undefeated, has not yet caught him. And he did. Ferg looked great. And Ferg looked great where he looked right. Look, Ferguson was doing so well on his feet. Michael Chandler, who never planned to take this fight to the ground, and that was very obvious within his strategy. Chandler could have taken that fight to the ground at any point. He elected not to. He wanted to be on his feet until he simply couldn't take any more shots and go, oh my God, I got I, I got to refresh here. Changes positions. Ferg goes up against the fence, which isn't a great spot. He He's looking for submission. He starts showing that wiry, awkward Tony Ferg where he's bringing knees in over here and he's bringing elbows in over here. It was old Tony Ferg. He cut his eye. Chandler paid him props. Chandler said, man, for the first time in my life, I'm seeing double. I've only heard guys talk about this. Now I'm dealing with it. In all fairness, Tony did what he needed to do. Now that kick that, that Ferguson put on him would have knocked out a, a small horse, right? It would not stop a small farm animal. None of us could have taken that. So we don't judge Tony for that. Chandler did what he needed to do, but so did Tony. And it's very relevant, guys. And I know that Dana said going to this fight, both of these guys are safe. And Dana made a very good point, which he said these are both top 10 guys. And the only person's beating them is other top five and top ten guys. Okay. But we did need to see something, didn't we? And we saw it. It was a major win. Now, that kind of a knockout is always tough. And everybody can regroup. And everybody can raise the white flag. We all do it at some point. No problem if Tony did it now. But it's also not a problem if Tony doesn't do it now. I don't know how true that would have been if he would have gotten dominated for all three rounds. The fact that Tony Ferg was able to look so good on his feet, he was able to take a lot of shots, minus the one that he didn't, and then scramble that ability on the ground, not to mention his conditioning looked good, he looked happy to be there, and he was pretty fearless. Tony Ferg did all he needed to do tonight. Chandler decides to cap off the evening with a fantastic call-out, right? I mean, Chandler's hitting backflips while Tony's face down. I don't know how that goes. I've never put anybody face down like that, and I've never hit a back. I don't know how that goes but that's a risky moment. Everybody gets caught up in that moment. You want to leave the impression of the audience good. You want to leave with some pats on the back. You want to try to grab some fans. So Chandler's doing his best to do that, but you got to juxtapose that against an athlete that potentially is not going to get up. Like you don't know how that's going to end. Are they going to have to bring a stretcher in? Is Tony ever going to get it right? It's one of those really hard things. I don't judge Chandler in that moment. However, Many of you did, and you now forgive him because that promo was so good. Look, Chandler went in a few different directions. You cannot do that. That cannot be done. You must get your troops and all point your cannons in one direction. Chandler went in three, and they were all home runs. I've never seen that done before. Chandler went after Gaethje. He made he made sure to spread the butter around to Oliveira. And then he calls out Connor, adding to it 170 pounds, which was very tactical. I frankly don't predict any of those for Chandler, but that isn't Chandler's doing. Chandler has now set the table. Chandler left us with something to talk about. Chandler made uh, the interwebs all abuzz. Chandler had a very close first round that he was never supposed to have, and it is a distant memory. This was a grand slam by michael chandler it really was and where he goes next and where he draws into look that's that's just as troubling as where does tony go it's one of those really hard things you have one of the best guys in the world in michael chandler he's one and one in his last two what do you do nobody wants to fight him one thing that you guys don't know you, you think he, he was better than tony shouldn't have had tony tony's the one with the balls to fight him you know how hard it is to get michael chandler a fight that's the real truth behind the scenes Chandler versus Gaethje was as good of a fight as the sport's ever had. Does Gaethje go back in against Oliveira? Is it a situation of Benavides and Figueiredo? Or do you look for somebody new? Because he sure has positioned himself very well. It was a competitive fight against Tony Ferg. Look, I'm not really predicting that for you guys. But Chandler didn't have to go out there and get himself a fight tonight. Contrary to popular belief. Chandler had to go out there and get himself attention and get himself some headlines and get himself some discussion for his next fight. It was great. It was a highlight. Chandler looked good. Chandler needs to believe, if I could give him one critique on his actual X's and O's of fighting, he needs to believe in his groundwork a little bit better. Michael Chandler's a really good fighter. Michael Chandler is a great competitor. And every now and then, even the great competitors can outthink themselves. Michael challenged to close that distance with some hard shots, take you off the feet with a double leg, and beat the hell out of you until that doesn't work anymore. And when it doesn't, you go back to how we had the finish tonight. That's my advice. I think it serves him better. Overall, damn near a perfect night for MC. All right, guys, let's talk the scale. Now, there is many things that have been said, and I followed this pretty closely on Twitter. Ariel Helwani, one of the predominant voices in our entire industry, was doing the weigh-ins live. So when Charles misses weight, it comes out instantly that Charles has been stripped of the championship, which is simply not true. So I call into Ariel's show quickly. They team me up, and don't forget, I'm the one person who told you the day before the weigh-ins that Charles wasn't going to make weight. So they, people wanted to hear from me, right? I, I get it. I took a shot in the dark. Great. But I got it right. And so people want to know what I have to say. And I said, Errol, I, I want to stop everything right here. It is being reported. Charles has been stripped. It's not true. So then I get told by somebody, this was on Instagram. I get told by somebody on Instagram, they laughed at me. They gave me, like, the, the laughing emoji and said, Chael, it's already been announced by a UFC official. Like, somebody actually said that. Like, like, that's how rules work. That somebody that gets a paycheck from the UFC has already made the statement that he was stripped. I told Ariel, I said, no, hold on. Every single rule that we have has a statute and or a bylaw. We have 50 different jurisdictions in the United States of America, and that's before you go to tribal territory. Nobody knows what all of those rules are. So if the champion is going to be stripped because he missed weight, simply provide me with the page of the Arizona State Athletic Commission who oversaw this. Simply show me where that's written. To this point in time, that has not happened. To this point in time, two statutes have been provided for me. One says the weigh-in must be conducted 24 hours, no more than, this is, let me read, weigh-in must be conducted no more than 24 hours prior to the contest. It was conducted 28 hours. Another bylaw actually states where the scale must be placed, and it wasn't. I'm not looking to hang my hat on either of those things, and I must actually credit Rose Gracie, who is the first to bring that to us about the time. Now, I can only tell you Oregon law. And I know Oregon law better than anybody, and I will fully admit that I go back to 2006. But prior to 2006, I was sued, personally, by the Attorney General's Office of the State of Oregon seven times, and I beat the Attorney General's Office seven times. I beat them because I knew the rules and they didn't. I'm not trying to add credibility to my point. I'm only citing for you Oregon. But in Oregon, we also have a number of rules. If it's going to be boxing, how big the ring's going to be. If it's going to be MMA, how big the cage is going to be. What the gloves are be, where they're going to be made. When the weigh-ins are going to be. Where the front row is going to be in conjunction to the ring apron. Like, we've got all these different rules. But they are all superseded by unless otherwise specified by the executive director. I would trust in Arizona, even though there's two rules that appear to not be followed, that if we read the entire thing, unless otherwise specified by the executive director, is also there. I can't prove that. I can't prove that. But it was announced and supported by a UFC official. I was told this on Instagram. That Charles had been stripped. I called into Errol's show. I said, no, he is not. And I said, Errol, I'm, I'm not positive this. I could turn out to be wrong. But I will put my name on it right here on this moment. I don't agree with that. Now, it has turned out that I was completely right. Charles was not stripped on the scale. Charles was not stripped prior to the fight. He was stripped the moment the bell rang. This is interesting, guys. You got to stay with me on this. This has never been fought and this has never been tested. But there is no contract in the world that unilaterally gets decided. Nobody gets to look at a contract and say, violation, here's what happens. If the other side would like to take it to either an arbitrator, a commission, or ultimately a judge. It gets to be interesting. Many other people have stated, again this is on social media, that the scale was off. And a whole bunch of fighters said it was off by half of a pound. Charles himself weighed in on a UFC scale made 155 on the dot, and then was 155.5. The scale was therefore off. Just so you understand, the only reasonable conclusion that you would come to, even if that information is true, is that between the two scales, the check scale was wrong. That is the conclusion that a reasonable person would come to. Not that the official calibrated scale was wrong. And I would like for you guys to understand this just a little bit. If any of you have a bathroom scale... And it doesn't matter if you paid $18 for it, or if you paid $800 for it. None of you are going to assume that your bathroom scale is spot-on to a calibrated scale. Many of you will weigh in at a gym. Nobody with any reasonable understanding of how a scale works is going to think that the scale at the gym is accurate. Why? Why wouldn't the bathroom scale be right? Why wouldn't the scale at the gym be right? Why wouldn't the scale at the doctor's office be right? One simple reason, every time you get on and off a scale, it adds the likeliness that it's going to decalibrate. So anytime you have a public scale, a reasonable person, particularly that lives in this space, knows, just based on logic, that's not right. But it can get me close. It's close enough for the doctor, there's a reason he lets you weigh in with your pants and your shirt, he doesn't actually know what you weigh. The reason in your locker room or within your PE class, or your buddies in the gym, you don't have to know what you exactly weigh, but the way a calibrated scale works, you really do need to understand this. When it's calibrated by the commission, who is the government, it will be isolated. Nobody can touch it. They will generally put a security guard on it. It is that set. Nobody touches the official scale. Why? Because every time a body gets on and off the scale, it throws off the calibration. So you do a card with 11 fights in this case, 22 athletes, that's a pretty small focus group, but either way, you would recalibrate that scale before the next time that you use it. So if you have the UFC scale that is open to the public... And it's being traveled and it's being set up and it's thrown in this room. And now it's over here and oh, it's moved to floor two. A reasonable person is going to know. That's a really good guess. But the reason that every fighter was able to say that it was a half a pound off is because every single fighter travels with their own scale. That they don't let anybody on. I was fighting since 2006. I fought in seven different countries. I took my scale to all seven countries. The reason that the other fighters could tell Charles and tell the media and post to you guys on Twitter that they believed the check scale was off half a pound was not because they were juxtaposing that against the official scale. That's why they all made weight. They knew that it was a half a pound off because they checked the scale and then they went to their room on their private scale that they brought. It's very important that you understand that concept. It is baffling that the champion of the world, who I'm not giving a hard time to, Not picking on Charles. He took enough. Certainly not giving him a hard time. I'm sharing with you guys. It is flat baffling that the champion of the world and the highest paid athlete on the entire card didn't have a scale. Did not have a calibrated personal scale. You know, the UFC scale works. I mean, just, do you guys understand that, like, people don't want to go get on it. The UFC has somebody says, hey, come get on the scale. We want to see what you weigh. We want to have a good idea of who's going to make weight. We want to make sure you have a good idea of if you're going to make weight. People come out of the shower. They jump on the scale. They got a towel. They're dripping water. on It's anything but official. There is no scale that people can get on and off at will on the face of the earth that you could look at as an accurate scale. Doesn't matter if it's digital. Doesn't matter if it's a meat scale. So I only bring that to you just so you understand. The reason that so many fighters supported Charles and backed him up and said it was a half a pound off was not because they were sure the check scale was right and that this one was wrong. It's because they had their own scales, which is why they all made weight and took the extra half a pound off. Something that Charles apparently didn't know. Learning lesson, no problem. Charles needs to go get a scale. He needs to travel with the scale. It's interesting, right? It's one of these things. I don't know if anything could be made of it. I don't know that there's any recourse that Charles could have. I don't know that anybody has ever pushed back and tested this. i tell you what, if I was in that spot, this story would be a lot different. I'm going to leave it at that. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm thinking of doing these after all the pay-per-views, so if you liked it, Let me know by giving us a five-star rating on Spotify. Oh, and happy Mother's Day to all the wonderful mothers out there, including my wife and my own mother. I'll have more reaction for you on Wednesday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.